Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor of about 15 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, this is Phil Stevens. I'm a powerlifter, Howling Games athlete. Jeez, uh, dabble in boxing, everything. I do everything. And I also run the Barbell Open, Lift for Hope. Um, of course, my facility strength. You know, right now, we got the Barbell Open going on, so that's... Uh, Always busy, man. Right Always on. Busy. Hey, uh, have you done anything with the boxing since? Well, know? I just started back. Okay. That's about it. <laughs> um, you know, of course, I, I separated the hamstring from my body like six weeks before I was supposed to box, so that kind of stopped that yeah. in its tracks. And, uh, no, I've just got a couple sessions back in, um, and it feels pretty good the only thing that like aggravates my hamstring at all is like stomping movements something fast that uh, right yeah and i think at this point it's more mental than it is something actually physically could happen i suppose but uh yeah, it's getting past that and just getting some strength back and you know let me like that. let me ask you this then i mean for for guys that are power lifters let's face it strength athletes do a, such a huge variety of things to, for conditioning you know mm-hmm. sleds and I guess you could yokes. I mean, whatever uh, mm-hmm. accessory stuff. There's lots of ways if you can drop the intensity. You know, you can into you know out of the strength realm and into the cardio realm. Is yeah. boxing something that you would recommend to, to powerlifters just to be conditioned, or is this just a hobby? Yeah. No, I actually like it now, and I think it's going to stay around. Um, it's not boring conditioning. I like it because I'm learning a skill while I'm getting conditioned. Um, you know, it gives me some. It's something besides just pushing a sled or. I know, I you know. You. So you know, I'm actually learning. You know, okay, this round is one twos threes. You know, and you got to try and work that out. You know, and uh, you know, every single time you address the bag, you're trying to do it right. You know, and then you have like a two second break and you do it again. Um, right. And then, of course, the sparring. I mean, there's that in and of itself is like it's, it's a lot more taxing than one would think if you've never done it before. Um, right. Yeah. Three minutes of throwing your arms around and blocking other people's arms will tax the hell out of you. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's great. It's it's a great way to get conditioned, in my opinion. I'm not able to jump rope. I mean, it's my doctor. I did it a few times, and then I called my doctor to make sure it was okay. And he's like, um, "I told you not to run. Why the hell would you think you could do jump rope?" <laughs> um, so I stopped that, and I do like ladder work. You know, keeping feet low to the ground but moving them fast, just trying to get oh, right. speed yeah. up and things like that. Right. Um, so yeah, I don't. I can't do a lot of the usual things you'd see boxing people do, like hours upon hours of running and jumping rope, which I'm okay with. But uh, and as a heavyweight, yeah, probably not going to be running around that much, anyways. So well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah. But you know, just getting your conditioning up to be. I mean, honestly, like from my first sparring match to now, and I'm probably worse now again, just good from the time off. Like just being able to hold your hands up that long. 
where's the hell out of you? Oh, you know, I hear you. I had to stop. I had to stop rounds, a few rounds in because it's like, I'm just getting punched in the face. I can't hold my freaking hands up anymore. No, right? <laughs> so. Yeah. That's what uh, you said about learning a skill in a progressive art. You know, that's yeah. why I've always gravitated to martial arts. I mean, when I was younger, you know, for seven years, I did Taekwondo very competitively. And like you said, sparring, that really takes it out of you. Um, yeah. And later, uh, with my son, we did kendo for a couple of years, and that's just, if you're not familiar, listeners, with, you know, the bamboo swords and um, or wooden ones, but just like with you, you drop your hands, you're going to get rocked in the head, yeah, you know? exactly. And so that'll teach you to keep your hands up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I know uh, Corey Van Wyke, he's been on the show before, he's, he's doing some taekwondo. I, I like the idea of skill acquisition because maybe it's something when you're older, you think about it more. I, I don't know. Maybe there's a lot of young guys that think about this too. But right, just pushing and dragging sleds and things like that. It seems like, other than the physicality of it, kind of a waste of time. I mean, as far as like a skill acquisition kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, sure, you get better at it, I guess. Mm -hmm. But it's more purely fitness as opposed to something that you could pursue almost as a hobby or a skill while you're getting your conditioning. Yeah, there's nothing to perfecting a sled push. Yeah, you know it's not. Yeah. Like, it's like literally left foot. Okay, now right foot. You know, and yeah. but yeah, no. I mean, I I I think it's it's a lot of fun, and it's much more a chess game than you know one would think if they've never done it. It's, right. It's, it's it's not a street fight, you know, and that's one of the things you know you learn is that basically you're 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 facing an opponent within it within a confined rules, and you have to keep your head about you and not let you know. You get a hot head and you're all of a sudden beat. No, exactly. Uh, I hear you're you. doing stupid things. You drop your hands or whatever, and yeah, you know. that's a skill in itself. You know, like how can you can under maximal exertion can you still strategize? Yeah, that's that's something you got to learn. <laughs> or you know? under maximal fist to face, will you keep your calm? <laughs> that's right. And, you know? No, that's right. <laughs> you your know, ears you are have ringing. To not go crazy. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was one of the our. Fears of, with my first sparring match was, you know, what am I going to do? Because outside of a, I've never been punched in the face in within a, a sport that has rules. <laughs> you know, so right. like, what are you going to do? Is he going to go <laughs> berserk? You know, and let, no, I didn't. I mean, it, I kept my head about me, and I oh, I better get my hands up. I thought they were up, but apparently not, because he just punched me in the face. Uh, uh, you're right. It, so. It's hard to control if you're an aggressive person. You know. Yeah. And yeah, so. it's you're in an environment where. You have to allow that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. All right, yeah. everybody. Um, I've got one bit of science news, and it actually fits one of the themes that we've been predicting. We're going to get a lot of attention, but, you know, that's it is what it is. And then we'll talk about some uh, industry things uh, in the strength world coming up. Uh, in the topic, Phil and I are going to talk about old principles and ideas uh, that still work and some that no longer apply so uh but let's get to the news here strength and muscle sport news this first one i got this through labroots.com it's one of those you know um science fetching kind of um organizations but it's called what your gut feeling is really telling you this is by kara marker she's a just a science journalist enthusiast and so sometimes i take this stuff with a grain of salt or go look up the article myself, but it says your stomach growls and you think it's telling me it's time for lunch. Uh, however, it's mostly the brain that's responsible 
for sending that message. It says, with specific sections of brain tissue uh, and specific neurons charged with dealing with hunger and satiety. And she doesn't go on about this a lot, but just a sidebar. Um, the lateral hypothalamus, a part of your brain that's responsible for hunger, I always f found this fascinating that if you look at it anatomically, very close to the hunger centers are the rage and anger centers. And, you know, people talk about being hangry and that kind of stuff. And my wife can tell you I, I get salty and cranky if I'm hungry for too long. And I just think it's funny because you're stimulating that part of the brain, you know. But it says uh, this unique and complex connection is also related to other sensations like uh, love, fear, safety, danger. It says in a new study from Duke University, scientists unfold the mystery of the nervous system's connection to the immune system and its relationship to gut inflammation. And that's what I was referring to when I was talking about like the predictive type thing, like gut, your bi microbiome, the bacteria in your gut are communicating with the rest of your body and in influencing you. So it says years ago, Duke professor uh, Alejandro Abele uh, in his lab first discovered the immune nervous system connection. They were actually studying worms. And I, I know if you're thinking, oh, Lowry, please tell me about people. But they do this on purpose, right, in science because, I don't know, these like nematode worms or whatever have like I know, 300 neurons instead of 100 billion, you know, like people. So it helps them control things and reduce it down so they can kind of understand. So bear with me. They found that a small group of chemicals led to both an immune response and acted as dopamine antagonists. If you're not familiar, dopamine is sort of a feel-good neurotransmitter in your brain. Like the coffee research I look at, I actually test uh, blood samples for dopamine because coffee is dopaminergic, right? And there's some very interesting um, interactions between some of those, you know, uh, norepinephrine and dopamine and some of these hormone-slash-neurotransmitter-type chemicals that... Um, may affect the stretch reflex when you lift and, and stuff like that. So this even has peripheral uh, relationship to sort of explosive lifting, I think, because of the dopamine connection, potentially. Anyway, it says, uh, in a current study published recently in Current Biology, Abelay sets out to break down the role of dopamine in immunity. The idea with a lot of this, of course, is to, they want to develop drugs and drug targets. I mean, that's where a lot of the money comes from to study this stuff but then we can learn some good physiology about the inflammatory response and all that so what they did was they gave um the dopamine antagonist so they're going to block this feel good uh, often considered beneficial neurotransmitter dopamine and they're going to uh, it's a catecholamine and they're going to block it with a drug called chlorpromazine now i'm not familiar with that but here's the idea the 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 worms that were treated with the chlorpromazine and blocked their dopamine, they saw an increase in resistance to infection. And then the flip side of that, when they gave dopamine to these worms, they were significantly more vulnerable to infection. Now, this is the first time I really thought about dopamine in a negative sense. Like, oh, wait, if I overstimulate dopamine, it could actually harm my resistance to infections and stuff because nothing will shut down training like getting you know nasty head colds or worse uh and they also talk about the connection to the gut microbiome in this article so it says the nervous system appears to be the perfect system for integrating these different physiological cues uh to keep the amount of damage in check so and again it's it's just interesting to me that 
there are hormones that affect your immune system and they're all also related to gut bacteria and how they communicate with the body. We've talked about that in past episodes uh, as well. Uh, hell, even testosterone. Uh, guys that are taking testosterone, they respond differently to flu shots, for example, you know, to immunizations. Um, with the theory there being that testosterone apparently drives a lot of your physical resources toward reproduction uh, instead of self-preservation and immunity. So uh, anyway, so some interesting stuff in the news there, new studies about dopamine and, and again, like I said, a lot of us, whether we know it or not, we're purposely stimulating our own dopamine with coffee and that sort of thing. And it may actually have an um, immunosuppressive effect and be uh, tangentially related to the gut. So it, it's just so hard to tease this part, all this stuff apart. You know, in, in the old days, it was easy. Like we had a chapter in school about the immune system. Then we had a chapter in school about you know, uh, the endocrine system and all of your hormones and then one on muscles and then one on the digestive system. Uh, but the idea that these things are interconnected, it brings a lot of um, truth to the, you know, sort of the holistic idea. Like the mind-body connection is real, right? That's the, you know, psycho-endocrine immuno system, you know, that kind of stuff. So this stuff is related. Anyway, uh, that's all I have. That's the only thing of interest to me that came across my desk. Uh, a couple of things coming up in the industry and just um, Iron Radio news, I guess. Uh, I am going to continue to put Iron Radio audio on YouTube. If you want to do that, um, you could look at our go to ironradio.org and there's a link. It's probably the easiest way to do that. Uh, podcasting is obviously our main thing, but like I said, if some someone wants to listen to it through their Xbox or their Roku or something in their living room while they're having coffee before they go to the gym, or even an app on a phone like a YouTube app or something, it, it's just another channel. And I mean, I really don't know how they do it. I'd love to see the variety and the number of servers that Google and YouTube have for this kind of crap, but I can't believe that they they stream so much stuff to so many people at essentially no cost, you know. Uh, normally, like, we pay a server to host our podcast, uh, and YouTube doesn't even charge for that stuff. So it's it's kind of a no-brainer. I've been meaning to move toward YouTube a little. So if you're interested, you can just, you know, Google Iron Radio, all one word, not separate words, because it's going to pull up a bunch of nonsense about iron or about radios. So make it just, go, you know, uh, do a YouTube search, and you can find us on YouTube now. Uh, what else? I just did an interview with Men's Fitness on protein mixing, and I, I don't want to spoil any of that. Uh, Rachel there is very cool, and occasionally I'll do some stuff with them. Uh, but if you're interested, you can uh, look for that. It is true. A lot of companies will make claims about mixing different kinds of protein and some of the benefits, and there's some truths. You know, Some things mix well together. Other things, you're mixing stuff, and I don't think for much net gain. And, you know, what role does that play in inflammation and recovery and, and all that kind of stuff? A lot of confusion about protein out there. So, And then, Phil, you got the barbell open in full swing. Yeah, we got it. The Olympic lifting is done. So that finished last week, and then we started squat this week. Um, we got a lot more people doing the, the powerlifting than the Olympic lifting, surprisingly, but I don't, you know, it's it's all good. No matter what, I mean, we're just rolling with it. This is year one, so it's a building process. But uh, no, I mean, it's going good at my gym. I know that you know a few of my guys um, crossed the 500 pound barrier for the first time, putting up their squats. 
Um, one of my girls squatted last night 340 in just knee sleeves, no wraps. Oof. So that, that was nice. Um, where her her max in, in wraps was uh, uh, 355. So being able to hit 340 in sleeves is good. Yeah. Um, I got yeah. a little 150-pound 16-year-old that squatted 365. So now yeah, on it's film, along. <laughs> yeah, it all has to be on film, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you have to film it, and basically what we're doing is you, you film it from the side so you can see depth, and then you film the weight on the bar, and then we immediately have to walk over and film body weight. Um, so you kind of show everything in one unbroken uh, piece of tape. Unbroken, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, and you know, next week after Sunday squats end, you still have time. Uh, Sunday night is when you have to have an end by, and you can still enter powerlifting until then. Um, and then, uh, you know, we roll into bench and then deadlift. And then from there, we uh, see where everybody stands and move on. So, How would one do this it, just with a phone and, and the website they go to and all that? Can you do that, just offer that real quick? Or yeah, that's all, we, that's all we do is just a phone. So basically, you go barbellopen.com. You have to register and create a profile. First thing, there's just a little button that says register. That's free. You create a profile. That puts you in the database. And then from there, you have to sign up for the sport you want to do or both of them. So you, you go to the powerlifting button or the weightlifting button, hit it, and then sign up. Um, it's $20 to sign up. And then uh, basically you come back and sign in your profile, and, it's, and then you hit the enter lift button. Um, pick which lift you're entering, which right now the only one you can Enter is squat. That's the only one we have active. So you enter squat. You put in your body weight. You put in the bar weight. And then you put the link to your video that you hosted on YouTube. So, oh, I got you. I kept thinking, and I know you said this in weeks past, like how do I get it off my phone onto your servers? But you're taking it out. You're making YouTube. I was just talking about yep. how YouTube streams yep. everything for free. Yeah, exactly. That's why we're using it. <laughs> um, and gotcha. it's great advertising because every, every lift pretty much says like, 585 squat for the barbell open. So now it's all over YouTube. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, yeah marketing so, too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Good you know, stuff. we have all these people entering lifts for barbell open. And then, uh, yeah, then you just put the link and then we're able to see it. So that'll help, I think, for next year. You know, where yeah. like you're saying, like the first year, a lot of times it's like, let's get all the structures in place. Oh, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe not dry run, but let's, you know, you don't want. It would be well. It might be a problem you would want to have, but if you have a million people the first time out, yeah. servers crash and, and exactly, and you you run into things about maybe that you wouldn't have thought about until you run through it once. Yeah, there's been little things on the technical side we've had to, you know, geek out and and things like that. So it's it's all good. So the videos and, are good for the most part. They're not yeah. dark or too small or no. whatever. No, I mean we gave pretty clear instructions too. So, you know, there's an instruction list of here's what you're supposed to do to film them. Here's where we want you standing, blah, 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 blah. I think this is great for guys that just lift. You know, they lift with a small group of buddies, and they don't feel like they're part of something bigger, and this would be your uplink to something bigger. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it automatically puts you in a a leaderboard um, that you can follow. Of course, everybody was freaking out because they're like early in the week. They're like, man, I'm in first. Why, Why are there only three people entered? I was like, and it's just explaining to them that, Basically, you have all week to enter this. So, like a lot of people in my gym, we will hit the lift on Monday, and then we won't submit the video because you can only submit once. Right. And we'll hold off and see how they feel like Saturday, and if they feel like they got more in them, we'll go again. And then we won't enter that lift until we've 
for sure. Basically, you have a whole week to put up your best lift, especially on the Olympic weightlifting side that works. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, that makes sense. So people me. are holding off till last minute, and then Sunday what you see is all these people dumping videos. So, right. um, And then that leaderboard's just changing like crazy. Because it'd be really hard to do like a 700-pound you know, deadlift and then two days later do the I'm just going to do that again. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... Yeah, but I mean, no, it's coming along good, and Sweet, uh, yeah. you know, it's like anything new. I mean, we had a lot of, oh, this is amazing, and then they don't sign up, but then it's there, and they're like, oh, I totally meant to sign up. Yeah, right. On. <laughs> well, it's too late. Right. On. You know. Um, you know, I'm I'm glad. I, I'm really glad. One of the reasons I think Iron Radio works is that we're linked, and I was I've said this the other day because a lot of podcasts don't do this. Is the link to your quote unquote brick and mortar place. Is very helpful, you know, because you have projects and athletes to work with. This isn't an entirely electronic, nebulous online yeah. kind of thing. There's real people getting involved, yeah. and, you know, and stuff like that. Like you got to, you got to see my place now too. It's totally changed. We moved into the bigger side. It's uh, yeah, I want to see it. It looks good. So, yeah. other than that, I don't know. We got a lot to, you know, what America one they the the gold medal or the medal uh drought is over in women's weightlifting Sarah Robles won bronze right on um she's the Americans won we have our first um female gold medalist in wrestling ever and oh, I didn't Ryan, know that hmm. yeah she just won that yesterday so cool and then uh shot put Ryan I'm going to probably butcher's name but Ryan Krauser beat the Olympic record 73 feet, 10 and 3 quarters inches. To throw a freaking 16-pound ball. That's oh. just... <laughs> that's a long way. Yeah, so and that's that sets an Olympic record. But, yeah, so it's been a, it's been a fun Olympics, It's especially on the, the power sports side. Yeah, the Olympics uh, are good for strength and power. You know, you just don't see it as much in sort of... I mean, maybe in yeah. football, but like, you know, football, baseball, basketball here in the States mm-hmm. anyway... Or even with soccer worldwide, it's, you know, power is not usually, I mean, power is important in all sports, but as the main event, strength yeah. and power, yeah, yeah, you almost wait every four years for something cool like this, except it's, for like, yeah. uh, you know, the powerlifting or the Highland Games championships yeah. and stuff. Okay. Yeah, so it's been neat watching some of that. It's a good time, so. All right. All right, well, I'll tell you what, let's go to break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, old ideas ones that we still think work and which ones no longer apply. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated Uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that 
And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book. But that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. And on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, We'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everybody. We are back. We're going to talk about the good and the bad. What you know, just training modalities or, or nutrition stuff that uh, you know we think work, and some that didn't pan out that are kind of still out there. So yeah, and they are. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They yeah. are. And, you uh, know, I think about the um, the weeder principles. Uh, anybody who's old enough to read the old Muscle and Fitness and the Flex magazines, you know, Joe Weeder, he sort of just adopt it. And now everybody does this. How many people remarket known concepts as their own? You know, I've even made that concept about lots of what CrossFit does. But, yeah. you know, the Joe Weider principles are a great example of that. Like the muscle confusion principle or the, you know, um, there's just, there was dozens of them. And most of them were just textbook real principles that he just attached his name to for, for marketing the magazine, I guess. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so what do you, what do you have? Man, I got – well, I can tell you one that works that people always just often forget about because it's so simple. It's just simple progressive overload. You know, it, it's been around forever, but it works. I mean, especially early on. You do a weight that's not going to kill you, and then next week you add five pounds. The next week you add five pounds again. Over time, you're getting stronger. I mean, if you just simply – progressively add a little bit more a rep here you know a pound there um you know you end up getting better and it's it, i think a lot of people move away from it because it seems so simple but or a lot of people you know progressively add too much you know they're like oh i did 135 this week yeah, that was super crazy yeah. so i'm gonna drop i'm gonna jump to 175 you know they jump 40 pounds instead of jumping five pounds and the whole idea is that you don't start off at a load that kills you but by the time you get to a load that would have killed you, you're now stronger. So it's not a load that, you know, if, you, if you're if you able to keep it throttled back a little bit, 
and progressively get higher, by the time you get to that load that would have crushed you, you're now stronger. So I think that's where a lot of people mess it up. Yeah, I think uh, across the, uh, like a macro cycle of like, let's say a year, even mm-hmm. if you periodize, I mean, nobody's saying endless linear periodization, especially yes. like you were saying, if at the same pace, you yes. know, yes. like five pounds every week, I'm just going to do it. Yes. But you're, you know, you're right. People get so, but they get so into the undulating periodization and deloads and all this stuff is at the end of it, that year, you should really be lifting, uh, you know, a, a lot more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Frankly, you've had a year, yeah. unless you're really yeah. advanced, then you might go yeah. a whole year and only have uh, 10 pounds added to your yeah. major lift or something. But, you, you know, I think about that story of Milo. You know, that's this is a Greek tale, I yeah. think, thousands of years old. You know, he carried the calf, I don't know where, um, to work every day or something. And I'll have to go look this up. People might correct okay. me. but And as the calf grew, he really didn't notice it because it added a few ounces every day. You know, and by the time the end of the story, he's carrying a full-grown bull back and forth. That's progressive overload, and that's thousands of years old. You know, yeah. that's now that's a good one. I, you're right. Yeah. I think people forget that. It's a simple – it's really the <laughs> crux of everything we do. Yeah, you know, it really is at the base. You're adding, you know, and then the thing is, is over time, it can be a little different. You know, you can you can add a pound, you can add a rep, you can add a set. You can, you know, there's there's many ways to play with it to overload. You're still. Yes. Just to just very in a a small incremental fashion overload. So, yeah, we did a whole episode uh, a while back on all the ways to overload. Right. There's there's tons of ways to overload. You can overload frequency, you know, go more days a week and overload volume. The classic one, of course, though, is overload intensity. Put more yeah. weight on the bar, you yeah. know. So yeah, um, you know, when it comes to things that work, I think a lot of the old stuff that I would read in old muscle magazines or even before. And Bill Pearl has a great book about the history of resistance training and bodybuilding and stuff. Um, it's one of my prized possessions. I have a signed copy from Bill, um, but. A lot of those things have become training principles, and they're in textbooks, you know, and, and these things are real, and they're always going to be real, like progressive overload, like you just said, or, you know, we've taught, we've done whole episodes on training principles, individual ones, like the reversibility principle, use it or lose it, you know, if you stop lifting after a couple of weeks, <laughs> you're going to start to atrophy, you know, or lose strength, or, um, you know, diminishing returns. We just touched on that a second ago. As you become more advanced, closer to your genetic ceiling, you can't expect to keep putting 20, 40 pounds, you know, on your uh, squat every 12-week training cycle. You know, that kind of stuff. There's diminishing returns. So there's lots of, I think, those types of things uh, that have become textbook principles, and they're just sort of truths, right? That Hence, principles, but let's talk about, just for fun, some of the stuff that hasn't panned out. Because there were things that floated around in the bodybuilding magazines in the 80s. And we, just out of ignorance, we didn't know. But then there were authority figures, uh, like you know, even Bob Kennedy, you know, from Muscle Mag International. Rob would know a lot more about that because he worked there forever. But Or a lot of the big magazines, they would espouse certain things. And I think scientists just sort of <laughs> debunked them. But I'm sure you've got some things on the strength and power side. Oh, yeah, definitely on the strength side. The first one that comes to my mind is the whole, you know, you should crush yourself at every workout. Basically, you should be dragging yourself out of the gym by your fingertips when you're done um, of every workout or it's not a good workout. You know, you need to go in there and just kill yourself. And that works in at, at the beginning for sure. 
um, when you're, you know, the, the thing about beginning lifters is it doesn't take much to kill them, but it also doesn't take much for them to recover. You know, so that, 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 right. that yep. injury recovery phase is very short. Um, but the problem with that is if you keep that mindset too long, you know, eventually all it leads to is just overwork and injury. You know, you have to get to a point where you're pushing it hard enough to make progress, but not hard enough to just leave yourself beat up. So you don't need to just kill yourself every workout. You need to go in there and go hard, um, but hard enough that you can still walk. You know, I mean, because once somebody's advanced, I mean, if you do, you, you literally reach a point where you do enough work that you're hurt. And, you hurt or yourself. injured. Yes. Yeah. You know? No, you're right. So, um, I think that's you know, especially true of middle-aged people. It, mm-hmm. I, I think women might be a little more resilient. You know, as the decades move on and more and more women get involved, it, it might be because of the, the protective effect of estrogen and, and that sort of thing. But there's no doubt. Um, definitely, me as as a man, and I'm betting a lot of women too. You get strong enough to hurt yourself. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. You just do. Yeah. On the other, on the opposite end of that, I think this came out as a backlash um, to that, you know, no pain, no gain mentality is the whole, you should feel better when you leave the gym than when you came in. And that, that also is bullshit. <laughs> um, basically, if you feel better than when you came in, you didn't work hard enough. So it's that fine line. You need to find that point to where you go in and, you know, work hard enough that you actually stimulate a response. But not hard enough that you kill yourself. It's somewhere in that middle zone. And that's usually in my case, I mean, it's you're leaving a rep or two in the hole, not 10. That's you hard know, to do, wanna... <laughs> actually. Don't yeah. you think? Yeah, I mean. I think it may be more of a problem, uh, and you may have alluded to this earlier, but with the the bodybuilders, too, because there's always that hyperbole in those muscle magazines, you know, tear yourself up, destroy, yes. you know, yeah. appetite for destruction, and, yeah. and and with the stimulants and everything, and, and they confuse intensity which to an academic is literally weight on the bar you know percent of your one rep max we'll say uh with supersets and giant sets and exhaustion and uh you know a lot of that stuff i think was even perpetuated like if you watch pumping iron arnold's like you know the champions are the ones who can get the ninth and tenth eleventh and twelfth rep the body is not used to uh maybe the ninth tenth eleventh and twelfth rep with a certain weight so that makes the body grow then, going through this pain barrier, experiencing uh, pain in your muscles and aching and just then go on and go on and then go on. And this last two or three or four repetitions, that's what makes actually the muscle then grow. And that's, in some ways that's true, but like you said, it, it leaves people with this mentality that unless they, they crawl out of the gym they've wasted their time and i think powerlifters are, are more calculating yeah well i know. think the other thing we're looking for too is that it's the importance of every rep you know we don't want any rep to look bad and usually if you're going to that point of exhaustion like rep one through five look great and then rep six seven eight nine ten look like crap half your reps look like shit now you know, we right, don't want right. that. Yeah. You know, we're looking to practice, you know, as close to perfection as you can. That's not perfection's not gonna happen all the time, especially when heavy loads happen. But we're aiming for it. Um you know, and I have people shut it down when when they can't hold form. You know, it's from there it's dangerous. And you know, that's not to say that I think another big one is, you know, never train to failure. And that is true, but it's also BS at the same time. You know, I don't want you 
like if one of my guys can squat 800, we're not going to go 600 and see how many you can do to absolute failure. You know, and very often, you know, we might do it for fun, just you know, as a bet or something. But oh, right, uh, it's fun, yeah. But uh, you know, not as a training principle. No, nope. you know, there's too much at stake. You know, it's way too easy to get hurt in a case like that. But you know, at the same time, there's nothing wrong with you know getting down and doing a, a couple sets of push-ups to just absolute failure, or doing a couple sets of chin-ups to absolute failure. It's not going to hurt you. You know, you're using a an exercise that has a very low injury rate, and you're just pushing it as hard as you right. can. Sort of an I mean, accessory movement. Yes. You I know. mean, and a lot of those moves, I think you should. I mean, those are the ones that I tell people we train those like bodybuilders. Yep. Just yep. grab that 95-pound bar and row it as many times as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that's what I get a lot of crap because on the board it'll say, like, uh, rows, some for a lot. So what does that mean? Well, just what it says. Do a few for a lot of reps and call it a day. You know, just get up there, grab a bar with something on it that's reasonably hard, and show me how many you can do, and do that two to four. And, times. You know, that's funny. That's you against know? the calculating nature of the power lifter because yeah. you know they want numbers and progression models. Yeah. It's like oh, this, yeah. it's that's not the goal. To them. Right. That's yeah. not the goal here. <clears throat> you know, it's like just just do some work. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Do some hard work and call it a day. That's all we're looking for on those. Now, on your your competitive moves and things like that, that we're actually looking to progressively get better on, yeah, we have exact calculated numbers. I want you hitting these for this many sets for this many reps. And they all need to look good. You know, But the assistance work, it's like all you need to do is don't overthink it. Just get hard work in. And if you consistently get hard work in, you're going to get better. So Right. I'll tell you another uh, uh, principle is specificity something that we've talked about before and it's kind of what you, what we're talking about here in a way like your your main lifts a, a power lifter is going to look at a squat different from a push-up you yes. know and so but there's you got to balance a lot of these things too like if there's too much specificity and i know there are some people who just really like to focus on the main lifts and they don't do as much accessory work some people are all about tons of you know speed work and accessory movements and and that kind of stuff but at least from my perspective, I, th- I think there's got to be a balance there. You know, too much specificity, you can end up with overuse injuries and that kind of stuff, diminishing returns, burnout. But if there if there's too much variety, I mean, let's face it, what do power lifters do? You do three lifts, you know, yeah. uh, when it comes right down to it. And if you're futzing around with push-ups and sleds and reverse hypers and all this other stuff all yeah. day and you never squat or deadlift or bench, I think you're screwed. Yeah, so I think some of these principles are they're two sides of the same coin, like specificity and variety, don't you think? No, I agree 100%. I mean, there's there's time for both. And you know, we kind of make that time depending on when your meet is, you know. It's especially as you get honestly, I mean, I think your more advanced lifters need a little more variety at times, you know, when uh-huh. they're away from a meet. Uh-huh. Um, but honestly, you get in those last 4 to 8 weeks towards a meet, what do you need to be doing? You need to be squatting, deadlifting, benching. You know, that's what we're here to do. So we need to get really good at those. You know, in the off season, if you will, you know, there's some unilateral work and some more of this work. And, you know, you're filling in the gaps because, yeah, I mean, your hips will start to hurt. You'll get locked up. Um, you know, good overuse injuries. It's it's good to, you know, work your system in a little different way to give it a break from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think some of the guys that are big proponents of the, the minimal variety, um, and this may not always be the case. And again, people can write in, go to ironradio.org and, and send me a nasty email. But uh, would be some of the guys with huge joints, 
you know, they got hands like catcher's mitts, and I, I just think they can take their skeleton can take that level of punishment. Where I think if someone's a little more ectomorphic, a little thinner, more angular, it's going to be harder for them sometimes. You know what I mean? To keep coming back to the heavy barbell squat every freaking session. You know, they're just not robustly built enough. So you talk about time of the year. Um, but how do you address that? Like differences in what people can take, you know, like the whole adaptation syndrome and stuff like that. Do you just try to say everybody's still going to stick to basically the same model or do you take into account body shape or size differences or how does that work? Definitely. I mean, honestly, the most I see is where they're at is usually the difference. It's not so much how they're built. Um, it's where they're at in their training. Advanced oh, training versus status. not advanced. Like I can take, I mean, if I have a beginning person who's never done this stuff and they say they want to be a power lifter, literally we're going to spend 90% of our time squatting, benching, and deadlifting. Yeah. Yeah. Because they just suck, you know, and they right? need to yeah. get good at those before we add variety. You know, by adding variety, we're just our learning curve time is is increasing because they just need more time doing those until they can do those very proficiently. So we spend it's just like our same thing with Olympic weightlifting. I mean, some of my weightlifters get bored because literally all they do is snatch and clean and jerk, snatch and clean and jerk, snatch and clean and jerk. Well, I don't need you doing a bunch of other stuff until we can snatch and clean and jerk correctly. Yeah. You know? So right. we're going to work technique, technique, skill. technique, technique. Mm-hmm. Um, once you gain that skill and you're very proficient at it, let's say you can do the right form 90% of the time despite the load, now we probably need to add some other stuff in to bring lagging parts up. Right. And that's what we'll address in beginners. You know, That's what our other 10% of our time is used for in beginners is – the reason your squats kind of sucks is because your hamstrings are weak. So, okay, at the end, we're going to do some good mornings and some stiff-legged deadlifts, you know, things like that. But still, most of our time is just spent on the main move. And, but then as they get advanced, you know, I can't have somebody that squats 900 pounds do, no. you know, 70% of 900 right. is, you know, what, 630 pounds. Okay, you're doing 45 reps. No, I'm not. No, that shit you breaks know? down. That breaks right down. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not doing that. You know, So we'll hit our sets and reps, and it'll usually be a little bit less. And now you know, the rest of our advancement is done by doing other moves. They're already very proficient at that move. Yeah, it's worth um, – that's really worth – and a good – a gym like that, like yours, it's worthwhile to see some of the more elite guys because it's funny to listen to people in the strength world, strength conditioning and stuff, and they'll talk about, well, you know, you want to spend most of your time in the 90% range and, and this and that. And I'm like, okay, great, but <laughs> if you're pulling 800 pounds off the floor, yeah. you know, you can't go do 720, right, 90% of 800. You yeah. can't go pull 720 almost every workout. Yes. You know, it's that that shit breaks down. I'm sorry. Yes, and that's well and the the only problems you run into in a place like mine is that a lot of times you'll see the beginning people in there, well, I want to do what he's doing. Well, okay, ten years from now you can. You know, and yeah, it's making yeah. them realize you're not there, you know. You're doing you're doing what he was ten years ago. You know, give it time. Right. You got it you literally need to build that base of technique and strength. Yeah. You know, well, let me, so. you know what, let me offer a couple more things. One is, um, you know, when I mentioned body shape and that sort of thing in bodybuilding, uh, I, I, it, that's part of my personal experience. Like if Fortress and I were about to start a 12 week balls to the wall, fairly heavy squat program, um, after about eight weeks, my joints are hurting, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, with, you know, even if I'm 
even close to the loads that he's using, uh, I almost have to go like a little bit briefer on the training. Like I'm not going to go 12 to 16 weeks in a uh-huh. training cycle. I'm, I'm going to fall apart. And I don't think Fortress would. You know, like I've, I've joked before, but he's built like a refrigerator. He's as yeah. wide as he is deep as he is tall, and he's he's like a cube. You know, and, and I, he just he's so robust with that kind of stuff. And I think it's because his joints are big, his skeleton is big, and I think there's something to be said for you know simply a uh, a bigger skeleton bearing some of that load. Oh, I guess, for sure. You know, but. for sure. And I think, like you said too, I find a lot of my women can handle more volume. Um. Than a lot of the guys can at any given strength level, yeah, but yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, th- I think like it's a big, huge thing right now. The whole squat every day and this and that, yes, and right. Push volume, and I think that stuff has its place. But like you said, it's in short doses. Like I have a squat program I have people do, but it's literally six weeks long. And by the end of it, they're like, I don't ever want to squat again. Well, good, because now we're going back to once a week. You know? Right, right. And in short doses, it can work. The problem is you push that too long and and you just start hurting. And yeah, so you yeah. give them a dose of that. We push it hard. Now back off. You know, and I, I've had most luck with that. Like we push one thing hard for a short amount of time, four to six weeks. And then we don't stop that thing, but we back off that thing and we push something else. Um, yeah. You can't you can't raise everything up at once once you're to a certain point. Like I have a girl that just like it was literally day two of ever doing lifting. She's in that fun spot where like literally everything every day she comes in, she's going to be stronger. You know, right. in everything. Right. What a rush. So, you know. <laughs> but but uh, you know you you that that time ends quickly. And, you know, you're just not going to get every lift to go where you want it to go at the same time once you reach a certain strength level. And you got to, you know, ID which one you want to work on the most and, and just hopefully maintain the others. You know, this is Why your you quote. Your quote from years ago was the man that chases two rabbits doesn't eat. Yes. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and so, I mean, there's that. Let me uh, Hey, let me throw this one out to you. There are two things that used to float around in muscle magazines, two uh, what they, I think they call them training principles that I, I think are more dubious. One of them, and I think Bob Kennedy of all people actually, um, sort of espoused this, but was the toxin buildup idea. Like you have to do lots of reps in order to grow like heavyweight, low reps. You don't build up enough toxins. You need to get that burning. And let me address this from sort of a modern science perspective, Yes, if you do a high enough set repetition set, you're going to end up with more muscle acidity, you know, that familiar burning sensation and that sort of thing. Uh, whether or not that – I think it's mostly debunked. That that's not what causes growth, you know. That, I'm not saying there aren't the changes in pH in a muscle or like free radicals that get produced probably. Yeah, part of the muscle remodeling process, but a lot of that stuff is sort of a – uh, combination of pathways that have now been better defined, like the mTOR pathway, you know, the biochemical pathway that helps with muscle protein synthesis, or the the meals that you get throughout the day, you know, that stimulate some of these systems. Uh, obviously, there's a weight training stimulus that's important, and that's what these guys used to wrestle with, right? They didn't know. They're like, well, you do something in the gym, and usually the guys who work harder uh, get ahead better, uh, but like we've said just a little while ago, too much stimulus, um, if you don't leave anything in the tank ever, that's not the best approach. 
you know, or like, for example, you do so many negatives, you do so much eccentric contractions that you're so sore, you can barely move. I don't think you should do that every workout week in and week out for four months in a row. You know, you're going to beat the hell out of yourself. That's an intensity technique. Yeah. But anyway, that sort of toxin buildup idea, it's just one of those things I remember from the 80s. And I'm like, they, they I don't know. It was one of those nebulous things with from people who have never really looked at biochemistry at all, and they're trying to come up like with what what's the what's the trigger, you know, uh, and that kind of stuff. And like I said, there's some truth to the free radicals and probably even the drops in pH and stuff. But that almost makes it sound like you have to work a muscle until it's on fire, and, you know, in order to induce. Uh, growth and that's not true I mean some of the work from guys like Nick Bird and Stu Phillips and those guys up in Canada and uh, Chicago now but um, you know three sets of, of movement I think they're finding is close to optimal for stimulating muscle protein synthesis right so you might say well what you're just going to do th- three sets of chest and that's it well no I think because there's other there's multiple muscles involved in any given lift or different angles supporting muscles assister muscles but you know what I mean that that whole toxin thing I I thought was was kind of funny because what did you just say powerlifters should be leaving something in the tank so I don't think you guys are tr- purposely p- focusing on generating toxic substances in the muscle as no. a, as part of it's more of a nervous system you know, protein synthetic pathway kind of thing, you know. But. but, I mean, we're also at times, you know, and it depends on the athlete, you know, at times we're literally looking to, we're always trying to put on muscle. I don't care what you're doing. Even if you're a light athlete that's in a weight class or a heavy athlete, they're all trying to put on muscle under, you know, different circumstances. You know, our, the light people are trying to put it on without gaining weight, you know, but if we can change an ounce of fat, you know, swap it for an ounce of muscle, not change it too, because that's impossible. Sure. Um, but if we can swap that over time, great. But we're also, you know, especially when you're weight class athletes, we're just trying to get more proficient with a heavier load over time. Um, right. Yeah. Where with their same motor, they can lift a little bit more. But you know, if I have an athlete that's like I've got one guy now, he's a he's two hundred and two pounds. And we're looking to move him up to a 105 lifter in weightlifting, so 231. We're throwing a shitload of volume at him, you know, and a bunch of food. <laughs> we're looking to put on weight, and we're hoping that all that's good weight. You know, he can handle more volume right now. And we're going to put that volume to use um, by hopefully growing some more muscle tissue, which then later, once we have it, now we will take that muscle tissue and attack it with heavier weights and try and make it, you know, take that new motor and make it efficient. Right. You know, <laughs> you know? although it's scary, I would think there is at least a tendency to progress upward through weight classes. I mean, if you were oh. – if you knew, right – imagine when you started. If you if you could go back in time and say, oh, you know, I, I'm going to compete in 242 or 275. I mean, I know guys fluctuate. You know, they can jump back and forth a little. But from the, you know, square one – uh, if you knew you were going to be in that same weight class your entire life and never become a bigger man, you know, bigger yes. person because of the lifting, that would be a little depressing, I would think. Oh, I, yeah. I when, would I, think but. when I started like getting serious about lifting, I was 165 pounds. I had dropped down from three-something, a big fluffy three-something, but you know, my first goal, okay, I lost weight. Now I got into lifting. I was 165 pounds. I am today 100 pounds heavier than that. <laughs> right. But I'm a different hundred pounds, you know, and yeah. I've done 
you know, I began lifting in competition. I was like 208 pounds. And then slowly over the years, okay, now I'm 220. Okay, now I'm 242. Okay, now I'm 275. You know, I slowly went up weight classes as yeah. Yeah. as I peaked out. And, you know, I hit the longest one that I stayed in, and I stayed too long, I think, was 242 class. I fought to stay there, and my strength stagnated. And everybody's different than that. I know some lifters can stay light and keep making progress, but other body types and people just their best way to move up and get stronger, even pound for pound, is gain some body weight. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, let me throw out one last one because we're just about out of time. So anyway, let me re, let me recap the toxin buildup idea. I think that came out of a, a ignorant, you know. But you know what? Let's face it. A lot of those science questions they stem from something, right? The, there's a workout stimulus. What is it that caused the growth? You know, um, as opposed to now that we know a little bit more about how, like, you know, what the relationship is between mechanical tension and getting the nucleus in a cell to send out a message, you know, for more actin and myosin or whatever. But, um, but not completely bogus either. You know, again, free radical generation and stuff. It's it's probably still part of that process. Now, what about pre-exhaust? What are your thoughts about this? Because this was over espoused, in my opinion, back in the eighties. Like. Mm-hmm. There's there's lots of different there's actually a couple different ways to even define this. But do you have ever have someone pre-exhaust either a, a muscle in you know this the idea here would be either do some type of ex, almost accessory type movement to make a muscle very tired so it forces the other muscles in the lift to take up more of the load you know like no. let's say pre-exhaust your chest so you could your benching does more for your triceps. But there's other ways to define this too, but do you see any role in this kind of thing? No, I think it's changed some. I think there's some, like I would never have anybody do a crap load of leg extensions, wear their quads out so their freaking hamstrings work more. Exactly, yeah. It's stupid. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, we might do, especially like glute work and things like that, more, I would call it activation, not exhaustion. Okay. Do a couple sets of something to get this muscle group awake. You know, and that's, I guess it's more of a warm up than it is an exhaustion. You know, let's, you know, let's get your glutes warmed up. Let's get your quads. Let's get everything warmed up. The ones we want firing. And now let's do the big move type of thing. Okay. But not, not to exhaustion. So where something else takes over, that's just in the people I work with and the way I train people, that's just dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, (laughs) there's also, there's the related idea. And again, because I think some of these concepts these old concepts got bastardized because it wasn't really systematically written down and published and progressed, you know, like in the literature kind of thing. But some people uh, would pre-exhaust, like let's say they'd pre-exhaust their pecs thinking that when they went to bench press, now their pecs would have to work that much harder and activate more motor units and grow even more. And I'm like, well, wait, that's the opposite of what some other people are doing this for, yeah. which is to exhaust the pecs. Now they're out of the loop, and their triceps yeah. or their deltoids are taking more of it. You know, so it, there was even confusion over over some of that. And anyway, that that was one of the old school principles I remember uh, reading about as a kid that I would never do. I, I've done very little of, of that kind uh, of stuff. You know, so. well, I got one last one that is very prevalent right now and it's do more work over a given time frame okay. which is both good and bad mm-hmm. you know it's it's you know it's it's gotten very popular with the crossfit community basically here's your work here's a set of the time let's amrap this thing and see how much you can do it's great to a point is and you know like 
if we set a couple exercises and say, okay, now while keeping form, we're going to try and do these exercises and see how much we can do. And next time we will try and increase that a little bit with the caveat that your form has to stay good. You know, if you're right, doing that, right. great. Right. The problem arises when you, you're going to reach a point where the only way to get better is that you lose technique and you do it in shed form and try and rush through reps. Which that's happens. not improvement. Right. Yes, that's not improvement. That's just doing more crap <laughs> in, a, in a given amount of time and risking injury. Bouncing and twitching, yeah, like an idiot. Yes, <laughs> and there's, there's a place for that, and you're starting to see, like, uh, my buddy – Brian out in California, he runs Hercules CrossFit, and you know he's very much pushing a don't go all out. You know he does his stuff at like eighty percent, and he tries to make his eighty percent output better over time. That seems you logical, know? right? And then you know there's a time and place for competition. It's at competition. That's when you go all out. That's when things count, and that's when okay. Even in, I tell my powerlifters this: it doesn't matter. Like, we're, we're looking for perfect form, but come meet day, you do whatever the hell it takes to pick the bar up. You know, right, if you yeah. end up losing form a little bit, fine, but we've practiced perfect form, so we hope that when you hit that super maximal, what was hopefully was 110%, you're able to do it in close to perfect form. Right, you'll default to you it, know, right, to, yeah. to the correct. You know, we've trained enough perfect form that hopefully that's what we hit, but if you miss that a little bit and still make the lift, great. It doesn't matter. You made it. That's our goal. Well, you know, let me yeah. offer this, too, that from the sort of textbook side is – it's, this is just another way to do overload, right? Mm-hmm. Power power is defined as work over time, mm-hmm. right? And if, if you can do those 30 repetitions of squat in 45 minutes and it used to take you an hour, you, you know, that is more powerful, right? Yeah. So by – you know, and again, I feel like we, we need to define these things because what you just said about the 80% loads, that makes some sense. There's going to be yeah. a sweet spot for – maximizing power and it's not going to be with the absolute heaviest load it's not going to be the absolute lightest load either though because then you're moving practically an empty bar and who cares you know so there's but again this is to me it's the overload principle and power doing more work over time is the concept this is not new and and again with the sort of um you're right. It gets kind of rebranded or maybe just popularized. It's yeah. probably like fashion. Things come and go. But know. the thing is, is you have to have a template. You have to have not only the load, but how the move is done. If all of a sudden you've changed the move and you did 67 reps that look totally different, look like crap, that's not the same. It's not the same. You know, you didn't do the same work in the same amount of time as you did before. If you did, let's say I went in and I did push-ups, sit-ups, and chin-ups, and I did them in perfect form, and then next time I come in, and I blow that out of the water. I do double the amount of work, but most of it looks like crap. And I'm, you know, it's not that it's it's apples and oranges, right? You know, it's you not overload. To, in you that would same have way. to increase the work in the same perfect form over time, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's got to be the control variable there, right? Yes. You can't actually do what's essentially a different movement and yes. cl- claim that you've overloaded the power of that whole yeah. system. You know, so no good stuff. All right, yeah. just thought it'd be fun talking about old stuff and new listeners. If you have any ideas, because there are so many, right? And let's face it, uh, Phil and I usually sit down and talk about this for all of 
five minutes maximally <laughs> before yeah. we, we do something like this. So uh, there's some really good ones. If you can think of something that was espoused in the old days, even some of the nutrition stuff that got tossed around, um, you know, send us an email. You can go to ironradio.org and fire an email. Rob is really good about getting those to me or post something on the Facebook listeners page. We'll comb that, you know, sometimes uh, about any kind of old principles, which ones apply and which ones no longer apply. It's just fun. All right. Have a good week, everybody. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good. Uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind things that fortress uses in his own training uh the stuff you, you see you know is good this way you don't waste time so check out the iron radio store at ironradio.org and um let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in so thanks for listening iron radio is accepting donations if you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.